my name is Liam Bird and I am the presenter of this fine podcast that we call Punks in Pubs. I hope all is well with you and that you all have a smile on your face. Before we kick off the podcast, I want to try and push you to head over to the Heavy Music Awards Spotify playlist. Yours truly created a playlist for them and it's full of about 30 amazing tracks. I believe so, that I've been listening to for the past four weeks. Go have a listen. You might discover something new or you might relive something that uh, you haven't heard for in a while. Also, an update on T-shirts. We have an amazing design and now we're looking for T-shirts to add those designs onto. I hope to have something for you guys to visually see in a couple of weeks. So keep an eye out on the socials at Punks and Pubs. Uh, I normally do this bit at the end of the podcast, but I'm going to bring it out early doors. Spread the word about the podcast via your mouse or via WhatsApp and social media. The podcast is coming up to its one year birthday in November and we have grown so much, way more than what I actually anticipated. I expected to only have around about 50 of you guys. Bottom of my heart, truly thank you for that. But I have such big plans for this podcast in 2019. Uh, We're already talking about two festivals to see if we can do some live performances, but that can only happen with your support and you telling your friends and family and and everyone in between to download, listen and rate and review this podcast. So come on, do your part. Right, let's talk about episode 23 of Punks and Pubs. In this episode, you will find me talking to the amazing and charming and delightful Polly and Jen of the Bomb Pops. This interview took place at uh, the New Cross Inn at the height of the summer. So we're grateful that they allowed us to do this interview in the green room, whereabouts it was quite cool. The girls cracked open the Strongbow and we started our chat. So what hot topics can you expect from this natter? Well, you will hear about the hustle, balancing real life with aspirations of the band. Polly opens up about her diabetes and Jen talks about the time that she went to Italy to join an Italian punk band. You will also hear the girls talk about getting constructive criticism from Fat Mike. He is the owner of Fat Records and the singer of No Effects, for you guys who don't know. And we also talk about the impact of Tony Sly has had on opening up about mental illness within the punk community. We end the podcast with a great story from Jen, where she talks about the time that she witnessed the rise and fall of Matt Skiba's comedy career. Uh, Throw in booze and farts, I think that sums up this episode quite nicely. As always, your band plays out the show and this week's band hail from Brighton and are eloquently called Cockwomble. <laughs> but before that, there's this. People, I give you episode 23 with Jen and Polly of the Bomb Pops. I'll catch back up with you after the chat. Enjoy. <laughs> Let's start anyways. First off, thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming off a 
a long journey and then having to spend some time with me in this nice dank luxurious roofless room it's it's legit yeah. it's legitimately green though it's a green room <laughs> it's legitimately a green room and it is baking outside so yeah. thanks for the shade as well of course the voices that you can hear right there are jen and polly from the bomb pops hello and you must be used to this weather, like being from California. Yeah, this is very LA weather right now. Yeah, we are not. Like English people, British people, we are not built for this. So <laughs> any recommendations on how we can stay cool? Like what do you do? I don't know. We, I don't have air conditioning in my apartment either. So I just complain a lot. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you sweat it out. You, just just deal with it, it and out. sweat it out. You get swamp ass. Yeah. yeah. It's nice though. It's, it feels good on your skin, and and no. yeah, I no. you know. But you know, I think there's a lot more air conditioned spaces in Los Angeles. This is the first place in all of Europe that we've walked into ever that has air conditioning. They have air conditioning. New Cross here? in inside. Yeah, yeah, it's freezing in there. It's nice, and it's on. It's full blast. So yeah. normally, one way we deal with it, people in LA will obviously go to the beach. People go to the mall, go to places where there's AC, movie theaters, yeah. See, my girlfriend has a rule where we won't go to the theater if it's sunny. Because she feels like you, we're wasting, like, in this country, we're, we're not used to it. So. I agree, though, right. with that. Yeah. I would never want to. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Rainy days are good movie days. Yeah. But in this case, since you, yeah. the heat wave is coming, yeah. just get in that theater. <laughs> Unless cool. there's not air conditioning there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is there air conditioning in the theaters? Yeah, always. They're freezing. You always okay. have to bring a jumper or a yeah, cardigan. Yeah. So, yeah. A jumper. A jumper. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so, also, another thing that I know, I'm sure you've noticed, Brits, once the sun comes out, people rush to the beer gardens. And they can come if they want. It's not an issue. It's okay. Okay. Fuck them. Uh, well, one thing was funny when we were here in May, and I don't know about here, but in, in Germany, I remember there were some really beautiful days out, and we had some club shows, and um, our booking agent was worried. She's like, oh, it's just too beautiful of a day. There might people... We might see like a drop in attendance because if it's that beautiful of a day, people aren't going to want to go inside to yeah. a club. And then and the sun is out late too, so they're enjoying their, their summer day yeah barbecues. So I was like, that did, I was, oh okay, that's weird for us because usually people do want to go inside. We're so used to the nice weather, yeah, and a lot of shows. So what about drinking wise? Are you are you, are you heavy drinkers? Do you kind of light drinkers? Mm, do you well, drink on stage? Polly Van Dam's going to take the mic. <laughs> no, we, we all love to drink. I mean, I definitely. Know. But you drink, like, when you wake up. No, not every day. <laughs> Jesus. I drank on the ferry today because it gives me anxiety. I know, but you did grab the beer this morning and... Con- and I contemplated, but it was too warm. And you did buy two full bottles of Prosecco. One is still alive. And the other one you drink. Yeah. There's nothing we like to drink. And the yeah. Jameson, Jameson's our favorite whiskey. Jen and I really got on the Prosecco train yeah. lately. We've been all about that. Beer, and yes, we drink on stage. Yeah, I myself, I don't like to, I don't like a one or two drinks before I play, yep. if any. And then if it's like I do enjoy like a nice, refreshing beverage on the stage, um, having a shot midway through the set yeah, is having like... a shot midway through or right, right before we go on. Right before. Sometimes if you have the nerves, it's like the perfect little... Calms you down. Yeah, 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 yeah. perfect bit. A little shot of whiskey is kind of So like, you're both whiskey drinkers? yeah. Oh, no. Jameson. Irish Jameson. Whiskey. Irish. After the show, too, it's like a nice little reward. Yeah, it's a reward, and it's also kind of just calms the nerves. But it's all about knowing your limit before you play, too. Like, right now, I'm mellowing out because I had, 
had two beers, a bottle of Prosecco. But I drank earlier, but that's, <laughs> you forget. that's long gone. <laughs> so what about growing up? Were you, were you a family quite liberal with your drinking? Like, were you able to drink like a glass of wine at the table? Yeah, I was able to drink a glass of wine with dinner, you yeah. know, when I was teenage years. Um, but still wasn't able to just go out and party, had a strict curfew. I drank, like, as a, in high school and as, you know, a teenager, but never really with my parents. When was the first time you drank with your parents? Well, I always find that's an experience. Um, I don't, like, I still just casually, I guess, at a family event, but I, it's, I can't, like, recall. I just, like, I really don't drink with them, although my family drinks. If I go to a family gathering, like, I don't really drink. I think it's uh, different. Oh, speaking of drinking, here comes Neil with a bottle of Jameson. <laughs> Hi Neil, how's how's the Jameson? Um, it, it's a little warm. It could be in the fr- refrigerator. It would be. Okay, we'll stick it in there. How do you drink your Jamesons? Do you drink it with Coke, lemonade, straight? Straight, from straight shots from the, bottle. from the bottle. But I like to have a little Coke. Josh just cut this one open with his knife. It <laughs> Coke back. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little shot straight yeah. from the bottle. If yeah. There's no usually there's no glass. But yeah, I think. Polly, to answer that question, she about with your family, the first time you had a drink with your family? Yeah, I was saying that I was allowed to have a glass, of, a glass wine of wine and stuff at dinner. But smoking yeah. weed with my parents, that's happened recently Wow, for the first time. Doing the vapor ones, yeah. but then now they're like full, full on potheads. It's, it's pretty awesome. And did you know they, they used to get so mad at me. <laughs> no, they just picked it up. It's a new hobby. Okay, because it's legal in California. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's, it's, They've realized it's okay, that it's hello. amazing, so yeah. I'm like, "Fuck you, haha!" Look, <laughs> I knew about this ages ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The time he grounded me for this. Yeah, seriously. Talking about growing up, then how how was it growing up? Were you you both from like a musical family, or are, are you the only ones who've embraced music? Um, definitely, my dad was played music. He played drums, and I kind of restored his old drum kit. It was like an old Ludwig set, sparkly blue. And he was very into music and showed me a lot of just classic, just Ramones, Violent Femmes, um, shit like that. But other than that, I, they forced us to t- take piano lessons when we were when I was five. Okay. And I started with that, and I can't thank them enough for that, for doing that for me because that was really the basis of everything else that came after that. And then I know like Jen. Yeah, my dad played guitar, like, as a hobby. Like, not ever in any bands or anything, but, like, he immigrated from Iran in the, like, 1979. Came because he, like, loved rock and roll, you yeah. know? And so he kind of came here, bought a guitar, wanted to, you know, play Jimi Hendrix songs. So he kind of always played and fiddled around with the guitar, and that was the first thing that, like, introduced me to music. And then, again, my parents really saw that I loved it. My dad taught me my first few songs, and then... Um, we're always very encouraging of it, but I don't know. The family itself is really not like musical. So, who was the person who actually introduced punk into your life? Was it something you found out by accident, or was it like an older brother or younger sister or anything like that? Who it was a couple for me. It was a couple like kind of experiences. One was being aware of like as a kid because I never had really early on. Like my older brother didn't really listen to. I mean, he liked Nine Inch Nails and stuff, but it wasn't something that I was like, oh, my God, I love that. You know, I yeah. kind of just shuffled through the radio. And then, you know, come in about, like, 1996, 97, when you hear, like, Blink-182 on the radio and Green Day on the radio, I just remember getting so excited about those songs and not really understanding why that song made me amped yeah. and so excited until a friend was like, that's because that's punk rock. 
And I was like, like oh, yeah. yeah huh. But it's the same way, like, hearing that show on the radio, this is what I like, knowing I like Green Day, Blink Way, yeah. in the mirror, like, depending on <laughs> And then I did have one neighbor kid come over, uh, was older, he was my brother's friend, and he came over, and he put on the Vandals, Fear of a Punk Planet, and then he showed me the offspring, and he was like, and then I realized that, like, you know, Damn It wasn't just a song on the radio, there was an album to that. And um, that's when I was like, okay, yeah. This is what I like. I like punk. And I remember going to school and telling someone like that like I was into punk and someone said, "Well, that's Blink-182, that's not punk." Mm-hmm. Like you <laughs> you like pop punk. I was like, "Okay, well, yeah, then I that's what I like, you know." Did you ever get disheartened then when when you actually went, "Well, I like punk." And then they go, "Well, no, it's not pop punk." Because labels within this genre as punk is a bit yeah. bullshit, really, in my opinion. So the idea that just because you found something, if someone goes, "Oh, well, actually that's pop punk for me." That sounds like someone's trying to lower your course, what punk yeah. is to me it didn't bother me i still i, I never yeah it was, they're learning <laughs> and honestly it was through those bands that i went back and throughout how i found fat records because yeah. you go back and buy their cds you watched um read every interview and article and what then their influences were and you go back that's how i learned about descendants you know was through listening to blink 182 and screeching weasel yeah and then that's how you like move forward I, I the first time i heard bad religion was sublime covering bad religion you know that was polly's van damme's asshole <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I had like, no, I'm, sorry to interrupt. I'm so glad you kept that as well you could have just left that and now she would, oh my god and it does smell so you are proud of your thoughts like oh. are you you like all oh, that no, understatement sorry. We are all proud. We're, we are five-year-olds. Farts and dick jokes. That's all we... That's We are also proud of our farts. Yeah. Well, exactly. I think we've always said, like, if the day that a fart is not funny, you can probably just kill us. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Amazing. Like a Dutch oven? You ever, you yes! ever done Dutch oven? Oh, my yeah? God. Of course. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a bit wrong. The fact you enjoy your farts so much. Oh, my God. Your fart... You know your farts smell kind of good. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a, there's a certain amount of arrogance to the fact that you want to try your own yeah. farts. It's like the South Park episode where they... I love myself yeah. so much that I love the smell of my own farts. I give myself Dutch oven. <laughs> I know what you mean, though. I know you've done it, too. Is that what attracted you to each other when you first met? Was the, <laughs> she fired in the corner? You're like, hey, I love that. Why not just you make it someone? I don't know. We just have a very similar sense of humor. But also... Yeah, it was like... And when you take it back to who showed you, a, you know, punk, Jen showed me a lot of the bands, too, when we met. We met at a rehearsal space and where we both were playing. Um, and so when we met, <clears throat> she's like a big sister to me, you know? And then we just, like, clicked. And then when we started writing songs and hanging out, it was like... Smoking bowls and listening to Mel and Colin yeah. farting. Because it was, it was quite an age difference, wasn't it, when you first met? Am I right? It's about it's five years, like about five years. But, it, but when, when I was fifteen, yeah, was 20, yeah, hanging out with yeah. twenty-one, hanging out with a sixteen-year-old, it was a little weird. But now it, there's no. I mean, I would try to get her to spend the night at my house, and at one point you were mobbing around with all my friends that are way out of high school, and she's sixteen and can't spend the night at my house. So. Yeah, my no, <laughs> you can't do that. Like, I wish I could have done all those things. But my dad, again, was just like, you will have the rest of your life. to." And I got to do a lot of stuff at a young age that yeah. a lot of kids. But at the time I turned 21, I had a kid. You know, yeah. I was like, all right, what did I do for my 21st birthday? Like, nothing. <laughs> yeah. And it was toured, the, toured the country several <laughs> yeah. times. And yeah. So, um, 
So what was it about Polly then? Because for me, if, when, if I was 20 and I, I saw a 15-year-old, I'd be like, dude, fuck off. Like, why, why are you talking to me? I don't well, need to talk to you. Because I remember... Me. I know, because I remember seeing her. I remember that because she was taking guitar lessons and I was at the same studio you could rent, like, rehearsal spots. Yeah, rehearsal. And rehearsal, so I was yeah. there with just some friends. Like, it wasn't, like, a real band, but we were jamming or whatever. We had some... And uh, I just saw her and... Because my cousin, who was the same age as Polly, was also taking guitar lessons there, too. And I remember I was with her, and she, she had known her. She's like, oh, that's Polly. And I remember seeing you play guitar, and she was so cute, and she was so good. And I just was like, I, I, I want to be her friend. Like, I want to play guitar with her. Because I really wanted to play guitar with people. And in high school, I never – it took me a long time until I was after high school that I found people that I really clicked with playing music yeah, and when I was younger and in middle school, I played with people. But in high school, it was harder to find people. And when I found like another girl that played guitar, because my cousin played guitar, but she wanted to play like Led Zeppelin and stuff. And and I saw her kind of like shredding these little riffs on a BC Rich guitar. I was like, who? She's so cute. I don't know. And, I just thought she was adorable. And Polly, did you go home and go Stranger Danger? There's this woman who's. <laughs> I don't no, think because I was already hanging. I, I was hanging with people ten years older than me. Yeah, the it wasn't. Teacher was yeah, and we started a band together, me and the guitar teacher. So, it wasn't weird at all. I thought it was fucking cool. Like you were like, oh, I have backstage passes, the good riddance. You want to go? I was like, Fuck. yeah, right. My parents would never just let me get in the car with you and go like backstage or <laughs> some show. But my parents started getting like, okay, whatever. I'm sick of you bugging me. Like, just go. And that's yeah. when we yeah. started. Mobbing around Warp Tour and doing all that shit. <laughs> so okay, so talking about your your first shows, what were your first shows? What were your first experience of a mm. punk show? Because something I talk about often on this yeah. this podcast is the experience of seeing your first show because yeah. it can be quite intimidating. And going in your first pit, were you two like right in there, elbows oh out, my God, or were yeah. you standing back? Well, the first show I remember, my mom took me to, and it's just dates yourself because it was. Bad Religion opening for Blink-182 with Phoenix TX, May 11th, 2000, 2000 or 2001. And um, I remember seeing it and just absolutely, there was no doubt in my mind that that was what I was going to do. And then a few weeks later, my, my again, my mom dropped me off. At, it was Weezer and Jimmy Eat World with Tenacious D. And I just completely there was no other going back and then once i started going to shows on my own like after that i went to my first warp tour and my parents yeah. dropped me off and that was my first time like in a mosh pit and seeing all these bands the first time i saw no effects the first time i saw like uh, no use for a name everything like and just losing my mind and completely like doing the whole pit thing and like same thing just hearing those songs or going to the show the first time i played in, in the studio with a drummer in the amp. And I came home. I was like, Mom, like, these amps are, like, this big. And, like, I have to go back. Like, can I go back tomorrow? Like, there's that moment. Cause I was just singing. Like, they just gave me the mics, like, sing the song, whatever. I was like, this is hands down what I'm doing. The feeling, like, I'm getting choked up yeah. about that feeling that I got, that I knew this is what I was going to just and have you have you felt that feeling before is this something that you're now continuously chasing or is this something yes, you get is. every time you're on stage yeah, we're here we every now why do we drive 12 hours to be here yeah I, there was no doubt about that because we've been doing this for over 10 years now and it's tiring and the hardest thing ever you know people are like how the fuck can you guys do this my mom is like i don't even know how you can do this it's just for the love of it for the love of that hour on stage I need to leave, I need to Got me fired 
I mean, you guys have had a hard journey because you've gone through endless drummers, endless bass players. Mm-hmm. So, what was it that kept you driving? What, like, why didn't you just go, oh, fuck this? Is it like nothing? These aren't working. I think we just had a mission, the two of us. And it was one thing that we were, and honestly, the more, the more that shit happened, the harder we wanted it. it. Yeah, we I don't know. to keep proving like people wrong, wrong or just keep showing that we're not going to let some stupid shit. It's just for the love of it. Yeah. I mean, mm. like we seriously loved it so much and to not play music with her would be like, you know, the end of everything. Yeah, it's the same way. It's like we had, it didn't matter. It was almost like as hard as it was every time somebody left, there was still like, no, well, whatever, like. Yeah, we're still going on. To, who world. cares? I mean, we had a bass player quit on tour. We flew out an old bass player, had practiced before the show, found some rehearsal spot in yeah. Texas, and went. There was just no stopping. It was that. almost like in the back of our mind, like it's just going to work out how it's supposed to work out for us. And then we until everything until Neil and Josh, like that's what we were supposed to have this whole time. It just took us that long to find it because it's hard to be in a band with four people. Like we're extremely lucky that we found just the two of us. Yeah. Like I said, in high school, ever since I went to that show when I was in middle school, I wanted to play in a band. took me that long to find her who wanted to play in a band with me and who wanted to play the same music and who wanted to do the same thing and who thought farts jokes were funny. Like, <laughs> And then sort of find the third person and then the fourth person. And then we actually like the same bands. We, like, yeah. we all want to f- say fuck all and go on tour. It's not easy. And like you're very lucky to even find those people let alone to be in a band that does cool stuff but just to have a band whatever you do with people that you enjoy playing music with is in itself like anyone who has that is very lucky with josh and neil what was it about those two that that's that's made them stick around and made made them become an integral part of the band now they so they grew up with each other they've been known each other since kindergarten and they've played They've, so are they like the male equivalent of yeah. you two, really? Yeah. 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 yeah, that's true. They've played together since they were about 11. Like, a rhythm section that's played together that long is anybody's. Like, they don't have to even talk. They can kind of, you know. Got intuition. Yeah, and yeah. they fight like brothers, you know, and we fight, fight like sisters. sisters. <laughs> they all fight like husbands and wives. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you say it's like a relationship, it's like a marriage being it in a band? Like fucking brutal. the most fucked up marriage. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like an abusive <laughs> marriage. We do. Well, you know, the the Christian, our tour driver, becomes a... uh, Every single person that's been in our van with us to sell merch or drive us has become a therapist. Mm -hmm. We freaked some people out. I think (laughs) we need... They needed therapy after (laughs) dealing with us. Sorry, I was about to read a question that you already asked. Never mind. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> We're that good. <laughs> Woohoo, checking them up. So being in a band, I mean, we we spoke about the times where about you, you felt like... uh, we could fuck this off, but we haven't. Um, but what about the, the times where you've had to do a shitty job to pay for the band that you want to be? Because I think a lot of people don't take into account how much money you actually need to invest into mm. to do to be where you are now and to even be where, wherever you want to be going. So with that in mind, what, what kind of shitty jobs have you done? And, and Have we done? Do we still do? We both wait tables okay. like in Los Angeles. And... Um, you know, there's a point in my life, if, I, if and with you as well, if we weren't doing this, yeah, I there was uh, my life could have gone so many different ways. I mean, it could have, but you know, in the end, yeah, we still work shitty jobs, which I appreciate them for what they are. But you know, that's not like as you get older, it's kind of I don't know. You, you'd like to do other things as well, but it's hard when you're doing this. 
Yeah, it's kind of the only choice if you want to make some money when you're home. I mean, hopefully soonish we get to the point where you know I, I work three or four days a week. There's short shifts, and I'm able to be home with my family. But um, yeah, it still sucks to come home to that. Yeah, it's so weird. You got to be out here doing all this cool shit, and then it's like, but all there's, right, there's something I do like about home, and I mean, of course, and and re- routine though. Like, I'm okay, but I get fed up after a couple weeks. I'm like, okay, yeah. like this is. Well, it's also that's the job where when I'm home, it's a job that anybody can do. It's it's you know, it's not like I have this particular task. My job, I'm replaceable 100 percent in terms of when I go, or if I don't go that day, somebody else can come in and do that. Yeah, it's like. It's, Amer- it's really like a job that you can have doing being a touring musician. Cause, mm. I mean, what job can I just take off a month here? Oh, I have to request off another month now. Like, it's like American Beauty when he, you know, quits everything. It's like I want the job with the least amount of responsibilities because it allows me to put us to put in, you know, 110 into this. And eventually, like I think Neil, like in our band, he has a really great. He's a graphic designer for Guitar Center. And he's done it long enough that now he can kind of be freelance. I think he's he's putting himself on the track where he can um, work from the road and work remotely. And that's a goal. Like, I really am, and I myself am learning a bit of graphic design and trying to get, just thinking ahead of, like, you know, other aspects that um, of things that I like that are creative that can help us, help me, you know, yeah. live the life on the road. I mean, I, I've heard in other interviews where she talked about hustling, um, to a point where you've been signed by Fat and Red Scare and, and mm-hmm. had um, success in that way. When you say hustling, what does that mean? Does that mean mm-hmm. like giving, making sure that the CDs go in the right hands? Does that mean f- handing out flyers at festivals? Yeah, all of that. We and, did that. And, and how did you find that? How did, how did you find... Like, I mean, how long was it until you, re- you felt like, okay, we're making these steps forward? And we're still doing... This hustle is never ending. Like, it's that point where even at a show like tonight, it's... You stick around till the very end. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that, you know, as much as we want to go upstairs and sleep in the hostel, you have to stick around till the very end. You have to sell that last T-shirt. You have to say hello. to And, like, we want to drink and hang out with our fans. Like, we came a long way to be here. We, don't, we appreciate every single one of them. That's hustling still, you know, and it's still making this little – you never know who's going to be at your show, and you never know who drove so many hours to be there to see you. Yeah. And that's the thing is even if you're at a show and it's kind of a little underwhelming in the sense of for whatever reason, you got to know that there's one person in there that, like, that made their week or, you know, maybe they're not even going to work tomorrow because they made the choice to come to this show. So in that sense, it's still a hustle. And um, to stick around and to be there present in the whole experience... But in the beginning, yeah, we would go to uh, Warp Tour. We made demos and we passed them out. I don't know how many CDs we gave to Fat Mike, and he probably just like looked at it and threw it away. Just kind of going around and as we play shows too, really try, making an effort to be friends and um, because we generally enjoy hanging out with people, but being friends with the bands that we're out there with, whether it's the locals or it's a touring band. But it's clearly worked because you're now in a fantastic position. Whereabouts? Like, momentum is on your side, mm-hmm. and you've recently released an EP, but again on fat, so therefore, clearly Mike has faith in you and you can push forward. But there was that time before, where I, I, I listened in an interview where you spoke about having Mike basically say to you, yeah, this is okay, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. That must be hard coming from a person who has such high stature in this community to hear him go, yeah, yeah, you're all right, but you're not, you're not good enough for fat. Here, where we, how we looked at it is he actually gave us that advice. Like yeah. we got that advice because a lot of bands, I think, would even love 
to hear that. So the fact that he actually, you know, got the download, listened to it, and then said, you're on your way, but it's not great. I mean, that is in itself is momentum. It is, but then, like, you've put a lot of effort into making the album, right. so it must be like, well, fuck off, you know? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But, but really, we didn't look at it like that. I mean, I, just, I think it was like, oh, he actually cares. Let's just go and write better songs. I, I and also, know. at the end of the day, when we recorded, you know, uh, Fear of Missing Out, he didn't hear it until it was done, mixed, mastered, and everything. So when it was done, we were very, we liked it. Hmm. We were we were in love with our own record. So when it came time to send it to him, um, you know, in our hearts, we were like, if he doesn't like it, that's fine. If we self-release it, it's fine. We were okay with that because we liked it. We were proud of it. We knew that we whatever happened to it was supposed to happen to it. And so that's a good letting go. So you had a plan B then in case Fat had no interest. Yeah, there were, yeah we the, were just going to put it out. The ultimate ourselves. plan B, we, of course, we'd shop it around, but the ultimate plan B, if nobody wanted it, yeah. so we would put it out ourselves, and that yeah. would be fine. Would Red Scare interested? Like, would they... Oh, yeah, well, Toby Jag's a really good friend of ours, and he was like, Why, that's pointless because Fat's going to put it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, kind of going back to stuff that I've, I've heard you also say, you speak a lot about um, No Sort of Name and Tony Sly. Uh-huh. With him passing away, and there's been a lot more talk about suicide and, and mental health within uh, the music genre, do you think that's got better, or do you think it's still, within the, the, the touring circuit that you're in, or do you still think it's a taboo subject where people aren't willing to talk about it because they're like, dude, that's your shit, I've got my own shit? Well, our friend just committed suicide last week and I'm he sorry. was um the guy who produced our band is chris vogel of the gamuts he was the bass player of the gamuts so as our producers i mean he was his poly to me you know yeah. um and he was the dude that we knew we loved his music we actually we loved that band and this was not even a week ago and um so I think the w- awareness is there and people are talking about more reach out you know i'm here for you but i don't know who you know, you'll see when if when it comes down to it, who who's there for you. Yeah. I know that Jen and I struggle with, you know, a lot of anxiety and I've struggled with a lot of depression. And this actually leaving for this tour was one of the hardest. I don't know, like I have this mental breakdown to have my friend right here with me, helping me through it, who understands and to talk about it. And even if I know, like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm bringing you down. I just need you guys here for me, you know. It means so much because I don't know, like, where my head would be at right now. Yeah. And vice versa. Like, it's we're fortunate to understand each other like that and to be able to because there could be a lot of, like, well, you're sad, like, buck up, you know. What do you yeah. have to be sad about? But because I know, like, those feelings and I have, like, myself and I think we both verbalize them differently, but I I know. So it's her and I just right now, it's, a, it's this thing where we share our – our tools of how to deal with it. And so it like, if I can tell you a way that helps me, like, let me tell you what helps me when I'm in this situation. And honestly, for me, it helps myself because sometimes it's easier. It's always easier said than done. So if I can tell you, you know, replace that negative thought with a positive thought, when I'm telling you to do that, then I have, there's no choice for me to go back and practice that myself. So our tools become shared. And so we're lucky with that. And I don't know that, um, every, a lot of friends have that. We were with each other all the time, so we have that. But we in, have to have that. In the case yeah. of, I, I know in my heart, you know, in the case of our friend that committed, he had a loving scene of community. That band, they were best friends. 
So for, I think it's really hurtful for to his other bandmates. Wow, like where did we miss that? Yeah. Or and there's no nobody could have done anything differently, and they couldn't have ever. You know, that was somebody that had maybe wouldn't even let those people get through. Like that yeah. was that far. So, but I do think that awareness is huge right now. There's a huge mental awareness like um, movement in like the punk scene. Like, Anxious and Angry podcast is wonderful. Um, I think people are very. I think in general from the dawn of you know mankind and art and music people that are artists people that are creative suffer yeah mentally and it is the price you pay well it's pressure you're putting on yourself as well because obviously you want to you want to be the best that you can be and i feel anyone in any kind of creative industry the, the biggest critic is themselves yeah. so if you don't have that person going mate you're doing okay yeah like, you're doing fine I think I think it's really hard, and and if you spend a lot of time, I bet you on tour. I know you two just said that you spend quite a lot of time yeah. off tour, but I, I know a lot of bands they do a tour and they're like, "Fuck off!" Like I don't want to see you for two yeah. months or something like that. I think that time, that downtime, is the time where they're probably at the most vulnerable. I don't know. You could have that friend, like for example, I have a if you have a friend that says. I'm shit, you know, my music shit, my art is shit, and then you have a buddy come and say, you're fine, man, you're fine. That doesn't register. It took me telling you at least 20 times a day that you're fine. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's a commitment, and it's like, it's not just that one time. It's because that one time or that one mate telling you it's okay there's so much more in your that. head. It's so it's you're you're your biggest critic. I know I'm okay. I know I'm fine. I know my life is great. I know my life's awesome. It's just so much. It's goes it's so much deeper. deeper than and that. so and that's just unfortunately that's the way that humans are programmed. I think. Yeah, you're you are so hard on yourself, harder than anyone ever could be on, about you about every single aspect of your life. So to be on top of that, an artist or a creative or. Um, it's nonstop. And also, just predisposed without that, that's just you, the artist's brain sometimes, I think. You give something. To give that much in one way, you lose something else, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, I listened to a podcast called The Bravest, and Polly, you you were a, um, a, a contributor on it. You talked about diabetes. Uh-huh. And my family has suffered from diabetes as well. My mom and my grandma, it always seems to be my female side of my family have uh-huh. suffered from diabetes. Um, I know you've spoken about how you want to speak more openly and talk about diabetes in that in, in, in that world. Why so? Why for you? I know your family have also suffered from uh-huh. it. So why is it important to you? And also being on tour, how how do you look after yourself? Because being on tour is not the easiest life. It's not the easiest way to look after your blood sugar count and, and, and like time management wise. I mean, how do you deal with that? Because there's going to be people listening to this who, who do have diabetes. Yeah, uh, on tour, it's... I'm not the best. I am not the world's greatest diabetic. Um, I, but even when I'm home, it's just as much of a struggle. Sometimes mm. when I'm home, my sugars are worse than when I'm on the road. I mean, it's just a disease that is so hard to manage no matter what the situation is. Um, there's definitely tools and technology now that, that help with that. But I've discovered that being open about it has just opened up a whole new realm for me. Like, just... It's helped me so much, and I know it's helped other people. Um, getting messages, you know, people's loved ones are diabetic or they are diabetic, and, hey, I've been a fan of your band for so long, and I just recently found out you're type 1 diabetic as well. Like, thank you so much. And I just got a message when we first got here. A guy said his daughter's 
uh, type one. She's five years old, and he was showing her pictures of me to to show her that you know you can you can do anything you want to do. It's a shitty shitty disease, and it's you know there's far much worse th- that could happen to you. But um, it's just every day, you know. Yeah. There's not one second that I don't think about it. I don't really remember what it feels like to be like feel good completely because yeah. it's always. Like, I can have my blood sugar perfect for a couple hours, but then eating and then drinking and then playing a show, the adrenaline gets my sugars up. So I found I have to do a shot of insulin before I play because of adrenaline. Um, Lack of sleep, too much sleep, you know, (laughs) stress, having your cold, getting my period, like all that stuff can affect your blood sugar. So being on the road is definitely hard and I know people musicians that have quit being musicians cuz or you know touring cuz it's it's too hard but it's definitely it's it's manageable that's like what I can say I'm I'm lucky that it's a manageable disease but um, I think that's the hardest though isn't it because it's manageable and it's not curable right. it's just constant that's exactly like like yeah. you nailed it on the head right there it's I wish it was curable I wish it wasn't just man cuz I some days I'm like and I say this to diabetics too. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself because I think that's okay some days to feel that way. Um, because I'm like, fuck, I can't do this every day for the rest of my life. Like, you know, and then I think of my son and how my life can be like cut a little shorter. And, you know, it starts, if I think about all that stuff, it gets way too overwhelming. But yeah. just like anything, just day by day and doing the best that I can. Like the reason I brought that up is because I, I do believe that diabetes is something that isn't spoken about enough as as a as an illness because I feel it gets taken over. You me- you mentioned South Park, but like sexier illnesses <laughs> that people see diabetes, they they see like cancer and AIDS and stuff like that. But diabetes is probably one of the biggest causes of early death, and I feel it's something that should be spoken about more. But there's so. lack of education with it too because there's type one, there's type two. People be like, did you used to be, like, really overweight? And, like, no, I just, I got it. There was nothing, I didn't eat a lot of sugar as a kid. It wasn't, has nothing to do with that. It's an autoimmune disease. My fucking pancreas just stopped yeah. working, you know? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's genetic and it's an auto, yeah. So, so there's that, too, which I want to spread the awareness of that. So I'm still finding my platform in this little journey of mine and seeing, like, what I can do and kind of piecing together, like, what I can do to make a difference. But for now, talking about it has yep. been a f- whole new world. I feel like you talking about it, and especially with, like, visible, like, wearing the Dexcom or the yeah. sensor, when you see other people, then you, because you used to not talk about it at all. And then you used to be a really, that would obviously make you, bring you down. But it wasn't anything that I can, like, because, of course, I can't ever know how that feels. And so then... I don't know, just the more that you talk about it and people around you are aware of it, and it took us all, like, a few years, and it's obviously the more that you talk about it, the more that we're aware, and sometimes, like, oh, where you don't just, like, aren't being, like, like, hating us for some reason. You, I'm like, she literally just doesn't feel well, you know? Like, yeah. that's, like, you don't need an excuse. You don't need to, like, if you want to go, you know, be by yourself or lay down, like, that you don't have to explain that to anybody, and that's just something that, like, just comes from... Because you don't see it. It's not visible disease. So you, right. you can't, we can't be like, oh, like, she looks like she's feeling sick. You don't look like you're feeling sick. So how would you know? Does anybody see the top to this can of worms?
that always happens around this region of time, around the summertime in the UK, we talk about festivals and lineups and the lack of female or female-fronted um, bands on festivals. And it happened to be that a couple of, about three weeks ago, I went and spoke to, for the podcast, um, a guy who is the booking agent for 2000 Trees Festival. And I asked him the question of, should it be up to the bookers to do more, to, to, to put women front and center on, on um, festival lineups? And he was like, it's not down to me. If a, if a band's good enough, they'll be there. Yeah. How do you two feel then? As, as speaking for all women in all bands, how do you feel about that? I think that that's true. I don't think, I think if it, like, that's the thing. And right now, we're, this is like time in history where we're on Fat Records. There's the Bomb Pops. There's Bad Cop, Bad Cop. There's the Last Gang. There is, you know, Toy Guitar, Rosie's Drums and Toy Guitar. It's run by a woman. You know, Fat Mike and Aaron run. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, Fat Mike will be like, I didn't sign like all these bands because like you guys are like, I'm not on this thing to sign like girlfriended bands. You guys are just awesome bands. You guys are awesome bands. And it's, so it's the same thing in festivals. I just think that maybe in the past that more women, I I don't know that um, there's just been more women playing bands or in, there's always been women in music. Yeah. Um, I can't say why it's kind of right now we're just kind of ruling. Like, I mean, the women really are. Um, everything, um, the political climate, especially in America, you know, is given I mean, not necessarily our band, but I think of a lot of other bands, like a really great voice for like politically speaking about these things. But yeah, um, I don't think that it should be like, oh, there's a woman in that band. Like, we need to make it equal in that sense. I think that people, women will show up, and if they're the band that they want to be or that they are, like, you know, look at all these festivals right now with women bands on them. And it's so, I don't think it's, I don't know, people think about that differently in in the wrong way. It's like also the same, like, well, you're, it's girl bands, girl bands, girl bands. It's like, we're just a band, actually. We're people, we happen to be females, but we don't go around calling your band a boy band. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think um, that there are some really great female-fronted bands or bands with females in them right now more than ever, and it's, uh, for whatever reason, but it's completely ex- inspiring, and, like, it's, feel like it's a part of history, you know? Yeah. We're I, in this moment. I think at this, I think we're at a point in time, and I hope I'm right, whereabouts people are starting to question gender and how, how and how, like, girls shouldn't just be given Barbie dolls. Like, it's yeah. that kind of, girls should also be given a drum kit and a guitar and, yeah. like, fucking play with that and go and do whatever you want to do. It shouldn't right. just be boys get a guitar, girls get a... Um, a Barbie house or whatever. True, and maybe we're more part of that generation that was exposed to that, and mm-hmm. especially now coming up younger. But that could definitely be a reason. And I like to think that the more there are bands, how many little girls or how many parents come up to us and we're like, our daughter loves your band. And I remember, you know, if I, I don't know, seeing, even if it was seeing, I'm not a huge, like, per se, like, no doubt fan or a huge even distillers fan for that matter, but just seeing that out there, mm. like, not the music, but the women doing it was, like, so freaking cool. Yeah. And um, there were just a few of them growing up for us. And now that there's more of them, it's just going to. Yeah, if I was, that. like, five and saw, like, our ba- or bad band or, or bad cop blasting, blasting, I would be like, like, oh, my God, what? Guitar right now. And yeah. The best is when you see these dads take their little girls to our shows and 
It's awesome. We usually try to like pull then them up have, on stage. Oh. Yeah, and censor like the dick jokes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the unfortunate part. Sometimes we Deal don't like, censor. Oh no! Now we're there goes everything. <laughs> there goes everything we were gonna talk about. They go home, ask their mom what queefing is. Yeah. is yeah. Exactly. Like, mom, exactly. what does pussy mean? <laughs> what does a pussy glisten? Look at your dad. That is one. Your um, asshole grows hair? <laughs> so, <laughs> you've had to fart. <laughs> you know what I like? How short it is. Uh, they're, they're little, like, short pop poppers right now. So, you live in California, whereabouts the birth of the, the Me Too movement. And... I feel that the music industry itself has not had enough of a spotlight on the whole Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking you to, to to shine a light on that, but is it something that you have been aware of? And, and have, there, have there been times where you've gone away and gone, I wish I spoke up. I wish I did something. Well, we, I think it actually, we were so used to it that it became normal and um like conditioned in the same way the me too movement came say you're the whole growing up in the 50s and 60s and you were a secretary in the sexual harassment not that we were sexually harassed but in a way as being a band we were so used to conditioning to the comments oh we show up to a good uh gig and we have our guitar your girlfriends are the roadies too Oh, and not no people don't realize that we're in the band until we're on stage. The sound men, it's always people that work at the venues. Yeah. So, and we kind of dealt with it. It's sad because we're kind of almost conditioned to be like, ah, like you don't even think of anything to say because it's almost pointless because what am I, we're in the band. Who cares? Yeah. You know, so our kind of thing about it was joking to ourselves and it wasn't really a, and then also once online presence and stuff, especially with YouTube and punk news and all these things, a lot of bands get, you know, not to give any of that any relevance because fuck, like, online comments and stuff, but a lot of bands always get shit. You know, you get bad comments here and there, and there's only ones you pay attention to. Yeah. But a lot of bands that are only men, they don't get, they get comments like, this song sucks. Boo-hoo, this song sucks, who cares? But we're getting comments like, oh, this, this song sucks, but I fucked those girls at the same time. Or, you know, just comments about, I bet she fucked this guy, but, like, she sucks dick. You know, just stuff like that that, in the end, like, we don't really care. It's kind of funny to us, but it wasn't until, like, Fat Mike brought it to our attention yeah, one day. Yeah, he was the one that was like, this is crazy. He called us. He was yeah. like, I, we, have to, we have to address this. And we're like, we never th- thought of that. We're and he's like, it. whoa. I mean, I was like, because if we, you guys address this and make a statement as fat... It's going to look like we went boo-hoo crying to mom and dad. Yeah. Look what people are saying about us, you know? His because point. that's, he's, it's just normal to yeah. us. Sadly, it is. So but I honestly don't fucking care. Like, those people are all losers. Yeah, we don't care. And the thing was, his fat Mike's point was like, yeah, like, I don't care if people don't like your band. I like your band and I signed you. I don't fucking care. But if someone is saying these, like, really crude and Fat Mike's, like, you know, in his own way, he's a raunchy guy, but he was just offended that people were not talking about the music. Yeah. That was what his main concern was. He's like, this is insane. And so, in a way, that, like, that's, that's a whole essence of the Me Too movement, too. And we have never, there's been a couple times, and it's also afterwards, we were like, well, how we deal with it, especially in the venue sense, it's like, just wait till we play. And then we get to call out the door guy on stage. <laughs> it's like the best. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as I mean, sexual harassment and you know, everyone we've been, we've been through it. I, the show the other day, I was walking, I grabbed the beer, and I was walking the stage, and this guy was sitting down, and he grabbed my ass, 
And I turned around, and he was with his friends, and I turned around, and I was like, no, hell no. And then I went and sat down my beer, and I took his hat, and I flicked it off, and I was like, you think that is okay? You really think that's okay? And, like, drew attention to him, and he, like... Shrunken. Yeah, 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 shrunken and said sorry, and, like, the... It's kind of nice that you can go and fucking yell at people for that shit. Yeah, I think I think that's the nature of it too. Is the, in the past, like like I said, nothing is like anything that's crazy, is terrible has happened to us. But those are little things that eat away. I think at female musicians, and also it just is also a big, it's a huge reason why. I don't know. It's, it's also empowering to be a woman, and 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 all those other ways too. You can't deny that. Um, there's wonderful, great things, and if you want to, people, men want to be like, well, you're a woman, and you get to do this, or, you know, everyone gets to, you go to a bar, and everyone buys you a drink, so what? Use that, like, you be a woman, you can, people are allowed to use their sexuality as empowerment, because in the past, I think that was the one, I don't know, it still is very empowering to be a woman, and the sexuality of it, and um, you can't deny that, either. You can't deny that the fact that, you know, people have, don't know us in whatever buttfuck place we are, see, oh, there's girls going on stage. I was about to go home, yeah. but I'm going to stick around, and I'm going to try to meet them and buy their it. shit, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That There's works. different aspects to it, but I think, you know, and underestimating people as humans for whatever reason is, of course, you know, people need to learn and be better. The block was about one hour ago. I canceled my last ride to get home. Cause I don't Played with an Italian punk band. Yes, I'm gonna fuck up their name. Um, it's okay. Is it Rumatara? Rumatara. Rumatara. Yeah. How was that? And also, Polly, how was it like losing Jenton of a band? Is like you're cheating on me, you fuck. <laughs> well, of course, I was kind of like, well, what the fuck? Like, also, she was like, it's like two months, and then it turns out to be five. But to be honest, it was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice to have a break. Well, you had just gotten married. and yeah, yeah, it was just nice to be with my family, not have to worry about, like, band calls and shit and, like, let her do her thing. And yeah. It, I, it was a break for me, too. Like, and, was, well, also, as well. I really think that that experience got us in the studio because yeah. we had been toying around with doing a record for a long time. And at one point, it was like, well, I'm going to Italy for a very long time. We have these songs that are kind of done. And in that, like, I found out in October of 2015, I guess, that I was going. And then I ended up going in May of 2016. So in that time, 
we just got our shit together. It's like, if we don't make a record, then let it's now or never. Yeah. Like, why are we going to wait like another half a year by the time I come back and then we start getting in the studio? Then it's going to be another year. Yeah. And at the time, it felt really rushed, but then we were there. We flew ourselves out to Denver, stuck us, ourselves there yeah. for two weeks, and got it done. We worked so. well on that deadline. I was like, well, I'm going. So, no, but it was incredible you know and these and um i had no idea till i got there what this band really was i knew that they were big in their area and that um they sang in venetian but it really wasn't till i got there that i realized how important that band was to like they're a pop punk band but nobody that and a lot of people like that style of music but the their real fans aren't punk fans they're fans of the band because they sing in venetian yeah so is it quite political then because they speak? Well, it's not political because they sing. They are the Blink-182 of their region. So they sing about the things that kind of maybe like jokingly about the Venetian, like um, like and they're in the countryside of Venice. Yeah. So they, they call it like a rude culture. Like they kind of have vulgar language. They say like a lot of like it's a very vulgar, like kind of s- s- slang um, dialect. And so the fact that they sing it and embrace it and they sing those things, like they have a term called gesporo, which literally means like I ejaculate on this. But they say it to everything like, oh, it's good to see you, Liam Gesporo. Yeah. And so, for example, they wrote a song about this. So the people love that they embrace this language. The BBC did a little special on them because Venetian is a dying language. Yeah. So they're not saying anything political because there is a political movement yeah. in Venice. And they don't touch that with their lyrics. But they keep the, the culture alive and people are actually embarrassed like younger people are embarrassed to speak Venetian especially if they're going to like Milan or they want to go to Torino and live you kind of are like like maybe a hillbilly or kind of like I don't know yeah. that's a kind of the equivalent so they're making people like very proud of um, this language and to be like I was born here and I'm proud of it by kind of making fun of themselves exactly too. by making fun of themselves 100% yeah yeah like self deprecation. Yeah. Um, and so. Respect yourself. Yeah. So that was cool. I, you know, uh, on tour here, we're here for, you know, a month and we were a different city. I've, I've still never seen London. Yeah. But when I was living there, it was 30 shows or so in five months. So I got to really experience Italy and live there and experience the Venetian people. So, yeah, I loved it. So, how, is it, how was it the end of going over then? Did you know the guys beforehand or was it like. They reached out to you. Well, I met them in a bar in Los Angeles. Okay. When I was playing with uh, another band, and um, they just were looking to bring American guitar player to Venice with them. We, and I happened to have a mutual Italian friend there at that they bar. A, they were doing a TV show. Though. Yeah, they wanted to do a reality show where About, they like this American coming back. Yeah, because they were Aperol uh, sponsored it. Okay. So Aperol, they flew over here or to the United States with Aperol sponsored this thing, and then when they Met me in a bar with. We had, I had a mutual Italian friend who was already in Los Angeles. He was playing with some punk bands, and they approached me. And my friend, who I knew, who had known them, said, "You have to go. Like whatever you do, like you have to do this. They're a great band, and they're really great guys. And you have to do this. It's going to be the experience of a lifetime." Oh, so, so, so what, so what did you bring back then? So like, what did you bring back an attitude of? Oh yeah, like how music I, should be played in like, it's Italian not, way or it was food just, or. The culture. The culture. Um, slowing down, taking the time with your friends and your family. In Italy, they eat every single meal together. They don't eat alone. They don't just scarf their food. You sit at the hour for, at the table for hours. Yeah. And that's the most important thing is friends and family. And I really wanted to bring that home to my friends and the way that they do their band as well. Like, they're just very together. They're very open. Nothing. They don't move forward. 
until something's addressed. It's very much, and that's just the whole thing of like family and friends and um, the community. There. Yeah, it's the biggest thing. We don't, we're not that close. Like the United States just doesn't operate that way. So you play support slots for a lot of major American bands. Yeah. Um, how do you find playing support? Because I feel it's probably the most difficult slot on a on on a on a set list. Um, a build list, sorry, where they shield the support and bands are kind of interested but aren't interested. How do you get through that? And also, what other bands do you really enjoy supporting? Like, do you enjoy going out with? Um, well, it just depends. I think it's our job. Like, you know, it's not our show. So you, it's really a matter of winning the crowd over because they might like your music or they might not. But we like to engage with the crowd. And I think that's become our biggest way. It's like, in the same way, like, almost just... Make fun of yourselves first, and it makes everyone a little less awkward because it's awkward. Like you're not here to see us, but we're here. You don't really want us. And really reading the crowd too. I think we've like uh, learned how to do that. Um, it's tough to open for like no effects and their their crowd, you know. But yeah, make fun of yourself. You know, let them know that we know that they don't care about us, yeah. and then just. I don't know, try to make people laugh. Yeah. And then if they like your music, they like your music. And, of course, put on the best show you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also understand that you saw the rise and fall of Matt Skiba's comedy career. Oh, we were there. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I used to intern at Sidewind Dummy Records. And Joe Sib was putting those on. And Joe Sib had... We had gone to, like, several of them. Like, every month for... A, every once a month for a few months. We are like, oh, Skiba's doing this one. And it was... Dude... Daniel Tosh was there. Dane Cook was there. He was talking shit on Dane Cook. Dane Cook did a set. Yeah, and he was talking shit on Dane Cook, and he just blew it. And then he stayed. The light was flashing, like, get off, and he just kept going. Joseph, like, sweating. Like, that was Joseph's, like, event. Yeah. And he invited Skiba, and Skiba's just like, you know who is the least funny person on the planet is Dane Cook, like, basically. (laughs) And someone came up to him afterwards and was like, you'll never, your career's done in L.A. And he's like, oh, Yeah. Really? Okay, I'm going to go join Blink-182 right now. <laughs> See you later. Uh, so 2019, when 29 comes around, this time next year, where do you hope you are? Like, are you looking to play another EP? Because I know you recently just play one. Yeah. Are you looking to play a full, a full album? What's the plan? We, we want to record. Yeah, yeah. album. Hopefully that would be coming up to wraps by now in 2019. This we would year. hope so. Like, yeah, we have no plans. There's no studio time booked or anything. Yeah. But like we, like we said, we work well under pressure and we'll when we know it's time to pull the trigger and make the pull the, get those dates we'll get the songs and we have songs but it's yeah it's, it's the goal that's that's what we want to be this time next year and fat are, are fat are behind you or we haven't even it? talked to them about it no. so i assume I, if, if, he does, if he likes it then he is <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah who knows thank you again and, of course uh, thanks liam all the best thank okay, you cheers i'm about to hit sand i'm waiting for the
you to Polly and Jen of the Bomb Pops for giving up their time. Their last album was called Fear of Missing Out and came out via Fat. Go pick up a copy. Go pick up a copy. Go pick up a copy, uh, digitally or physical, whatever you prefer. Uh, as always, thank you to Stephen Burke for audio assistance. Please go rate and review on whatever podcast streaming service you use, iTunes or, or the rest. Follow the podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Punks and Pubs. Right, you lucky lot. Playing at the podcast this week are a bunch of solid dudes and dudettes. They're called Cockwomble. Their second EP, All the Money, None of the Style, came out this week. So go pick up a digital copy. Links for that EP will be on the Punks and Pubs social. This is their new single, Want Stuff, Buy Stuff. Right, that's the end for me. Till next time, if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up. Have a good one. Bye-bye. One more stuff, one more stuff, one more stuff, gonna buy more stuff, I want more stuff, 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 one more stuff.